0: Hey everyone, this is the Everyday Leader podcast where we hear from inspiring individuals building and leading teams across Africa. Today, I speak with Maurice Ateneo from Nairobi, Kenya. Maurice is an avid community and ecosystem builder who is passionate about helping entrepreneurs, corporates, and investors achieve their goals. He enjoys doing this by connecting them to relevant resources and people. Currently, he serves as the executive director of the Barraza Media Lab, an exciting space for networking, collaborating, and experimenting among Kenya's Media practitioners. This includes journalists, bloggers, writers, artists, filmmakers, cartoonists, social media experts, technologists, and other cross-disciplinary collaborators. Before joining the Baraza Media Lab, Maurice was part of the founding team at Meta Nairobi, and he also previously worked at Strathmore Business School as a program manager for their MBA program. And also founded Camp New Camping, a camping and hiking company in Kenya, due to his love for nature, physical fitness, and building communities. His primary interests continue to be corporate innovation, storytelling, media, entrepreneurship, impact investing, venture capital, emerging and frontier markets, and community building. Welcome, Maurice, to the Everyday Leader podcast. Really excited to have you here today to dig into your leadership experience. Uh, You are uh, quite a leading member of the entrepreneurship and creator community in Nairobi, so I'm sure you have lots to share, so welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast today.
0: Before we dive into your current work, I'd love to for you to take us back to your leadership origin story. Uh, what is an example of one of your early leadership experiences, and, and how did that shape how you went about your career?
1: Yeah. Um... If you were to go back to that story, I'll go back to when I was uh, actually in college. Uh, and um, for some people who might not know, I, I came through college uh, through a, a rugby scholarship. Um, so basically uh, joining Strathmore B- um, University, which is one of the the best universities in the region um, as a rugby scholar. Uh, and uh, while at it I was one of the smallest, one of the most vocal, but also a leader within the team. Um, so my coach entrusted me to be the captain of the team and led the team to winning a couple of accolades. But basically, i I cannot say I cannot pinpoint what led him to see that leadership element in me. But I remember being one of the longest serving um, uh, um, captains of the team um, and leading a team of basically these people who are bigger, better, faster. Uh, than me uh, and even more uh accomplished in terms of rugby uh, than me uh with the university team which was also actually a, a, a rugby club um and that that's the first time maybe i experienced leadership uh, and leading a team uh, basically uh it's not very professional but it's out of it's basically an experience that uh, i think shaped a lot of how i viewed things and um in terms of empath- being empathetic uh, being understanding uh, and all
0: I'm so glad that you brought up that example, because I had actually looked uh, on through your LinkedIn and saw that you were a captain of the rugby team during college, and I didn't know that you would bring it up, so you kind of beat me to it. I meant to ask because I also, not during college, but during high school, was the, one of the co-captains of our uh, soccer team, and, and I definitely could relate that uh, sports uh, leadership and you know being on a team there's definitely a lot you can relate to the professional setting. And I feel that this kind of traditional sense of kind of mind, body, spirit, when you are in school, uh, definitely is an important part of kind of training for the real world. Can you share a little bit more about some of the lessons you learned or the behaviors or practices that you developed as the, the rugby captain and how that then kind of was a springboard towards your initial professional leadership experiences?
1: Yeah, um, definitely. There's a lot of things that I learned from there. First of all, uh, rugby in itself is a, is, a, is a team sport where you can't win the game by just being the superhero. You know, you, There's no sort of like Batman moment uh, within rugby. You have to be almost like um, a, a legion of all these superheroes who are working together. So, and with that, it brings a lot of, um, sometimes compromises, um, and I'll, 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 I'll try and and, and and put a couple of, of, of examples in, in some of the things that I learned. Um, so compromises in the sense that there's this particular teammate who you definitely know cannot go all the way through the game, but when they are in the game, they'll give you their full 20 minutes of 100%. And you compromise that over somebody who's super talented and can give you more than um, 100 within the number of hours, but you want to have that experience in there. So it got me to appreciate compromise and to appreciate experience. Um, and to be able to know that even if I'm a, I'm a captain of a team, um, there's somebody else who's maybe more experienced than I, and I trust them to do their job best than, 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 than I, I, I can instruct them to. Um, the other thing also is empathy. Uh, you find like uh, rugby is a tough sport in itself. Uh, people get knocked, people get hurt. Um, but being a captain, you you almost have to be on top of things. Um, as long well as you are knowledgeable about the game, you are knowledgeable about what you should be doing and calling the shots, you also scope around and see who of your teammates is maybe out of breath, <laughs> who of your teammates is maybe hurt and cannot continue but does not want to accept. And you have to bench them because uh, you empathize and you kind of think of how do I utilize this person best? Um, I utilize them best when I, I bench them, have them rest, so that next time they come and they come when they are stronger, well recovered, and all. Um, and also some some bits of strategy that you get to learn uh, within the organ within the team, uh, where you find um, Strathmore as a as a club that I used to play for. Um, had predominantly smaller people. So we were smaller but very fast and good with our ball handling skills. So that meant if we meet a team that is faster and bigger, then the only thing we need to do is to kick the ball more so that they, we, we tire them out. So also strategy was something that I got to learn. And, and, and you, you almost have to be very observant in terms of what is going on because um, then mostly people rely on your leadership um, to be able to 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 guide them through that wave of of, of challenges they are facing, um, yeah. So I mean, they, I'm sure there's a lot of things that I, I learned that if I do have time and even within the podcast I might uh, relate to them, but some of those uh, those are some of them that clearly stand out um, while, while while playing rugby. Uh,
0: well, yeah, it's definitely as you were speaking, the parallels were so striking. Uh, thanks for yeah. sharing that. You could see the. You know, team management, the strategy, really coming uh, through there. Can you share a bit more about uh, your kind of first experiences in the professional world after college, and and uh, mm. examples of of when you started to take on more responsibility?
1: Yeah, uh, definitely. I, I, and I think the leadership that I had within the rugby sphere uh, made it easier for me to uh, somewhat even. Uh, not uh, academically learn about leadership, but just naturally came about. So when I started working, um, I found myself in situations like, for example, when I worked at uh, Strathmore Business School, actually. So I, I, I schooled at Strathmore, um, went to work for General Motors uh, as an accountant, worked for another agrochemical company called FarmChem, uh, which is a family owned uh, company then later on joined uh, Startup Business School uh, as a program manager for the MBA course. And if you're, if you're in that position, what you get to do is to lead and basically manage over 60 students. And these are 60 MBA students who are leaders within their context. And, and that comes in again with a different challenge where there's already a power dynamics where these are people who are leaders in the society, in the professional life, Um, yes, you are leading them from an academic point of view, but you have to know how do I manage egos? How do I um, communicate in in a clear way that does not um, uh, put the university itself in a a, a very precarious situation? Um, Within that space, you also learn how to be uh, diverse. Uh, And by diverse, I mean... um, most of the people who are doing the MBA course are from different, different sectors. And, and during, let's say, your breakouts or, or during your networking sessions, you need to know what is going on in all these sectors so that you can sustain that conversation. And for me, I found it fun. As somebody who was leading this group of uh, people who are going through the academic journey, um, I found it fun to be able to research on what is the new thing in medicine, and I don't have to be an expert in medicine, but I can sustain a conversation with them from a networking point of view. Um, and 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 one thing that I learned basically in that process is uh, from a professional and leadership point is you don't have to be the superhero as the leader of the organization, um, but you have to be playing a part of the superheroes who are your team to, to excel. And And the one thing that I loved was the ability to be able to unlock things for the students um, just because I know. Not because I know how to do it, but because I know someone who can do it. Um, That really, really helped me to go through that process of being the program manager of that course. Um, And, uh, I mean, for me, my success at that point was how many do we graduate? Uh, And I think my year graduated over 50 out of 60, which is uh, quite a success. And some of it, of course, is not all attributable to me, uh, b- but also the students who are working hard. But I think part of it is the how you make their life easier in terms of accessing information, accessing uh, help whenever they need it. Um, and mostly not help that I offer, but help that the other people offer, and I connect them to them. And this, um, in a sense, really shaped my next part of my career, which was basically to come join, um, a friend and my boss at that time uh, called Mr. Aaron Fu um, to launch uh, uh, Meta, basically. Um, That was now the first time where I started managing teams and growing teams, but really, really relating to a lot of the things that I had learned uh, through my rugby career, through my dealing with the students at Strathmore Business School. Um, And at this point... Uh, now managing, running, hiring, (laughs) firing, basically the, the good and the bad of being a leader. Um, and we managed to build a team that was so solid. I think over time, during my lifetime at Meta, I think I managed in total over 40 people, um, in and out. And, and these were young, older, you know, very diverse teams, uh, and, and the, the, the joy that it brought me was that uh, bits that I had learned were now being put into practice uh, when I was working at Meta. Uh, yeah.
0: That's fascinating. So you, you found yourself managing this MBA program, not having done an MBA yourself. Uh, yeah. And then you moved to Meta, where you were also kind of uh, hiring and building a team of, of, of people who were also very experienced. You, yeah. you mentioned a little bit about the strategies that you use to position yourself as a manager or as a leader uh, amongst a very uh, you know ego driven and, and experienced uh, community but what how did you really um, position yourself uh, what, what were some strategies that you used so that like you said you didn't have to be the superhero leader but you did have to drive results and have the impact that the program and, and the community was was going for? Um, how did you kind of balance that and make sure that you were still achieving the results?
1: Yeah, so the thing that I, I find with, with um, that I learned that also helped me to balance with the question, uh, just to answer the question you asked, is while dealing with people who are of one older, more experienced, um, uh, probably senior in their professional role there comes a, a time where you have to have conflict, and the conflict can be a bit imbalanced. Where you, as a leader, you are you, you, unfortunately in this case you're you disadvantaged because you are less experienced, you're younger, you are you're not you don't have a very cushy status in the professional world. Um, but with those, I found open communication and open feedback being very, very, very uh, useful. So um, especially expressing how. I feel expressing uh, what I think went wrong, but also willing to listen to sort of like the feedback that they have to offer to me uh, in terms of how they felt. Um, And it's a very uncomfortable situation because again, with open feedback, there's a situation where somebody says some things about you that they think you're bad in that scenario and nobody wants to know that they're bad. Um, So that was one strategy that even at Meta and even in my current role as the executive director of Baraza Media Lab is something I carry along where I really, really encourage uh, uh, open feedback. And open feedback can mean, could we have uh, one-on-one catch-ups with you? Uh, What do you think is working? What do you think is not working? Where do you need me to support you? Where do you think I've failed you? And I do similarly give you the same feedback. Where do I think uh, I need your support as a leader? Why do I think you failed? Uh, And that really helps us to have that um, mutual respect, uh, but also very clear in terms of what is expected of you. Um, And it's not a matter of personalities of I hate you or uh, I dislike you. It's a matter of like, I do care about you, and that's why I'm giving you this feedback. Um, The other piece within the leadership, uh, what I was telling you is, Networking Networking became a very, very uh, important role for me where uh, for me to unlock some challenges that uh, I don't have experience in, I have to almost um, meet these people who are more experienced than me, have a a relationship with them, and then translate this to need, whenever my team needs somebody of that caliber, I could direct it. Um, And and lastly was, um, again, being that I... um, got into leadership uh, by chance, but also very earlier on, um, there are some people that I looked up to in my life uh, as, as, uh, and I loved the way they were leading, you know? So that's um, sometimes having feedback from them in terms of what do they think I'm doing correctly was also very important. So I was very intentional in um, our, our, our catch-ups. I was very intentional in our meetups. I was very intentional um, with with our with my personal coaching and my personal development because uh, I believe that would translate to the team. Um, and, and that even to some extent uh, drove a culture in our house where um, we have to read and, and re- not only really read like books because I want to be an added reader, but articles and diverse things because I think that general knowledge assists you to have a bit of confidence and, and a bit of knowledge to guide your team, um, yeah.
0: So you served as the general manager at Meta for over three years, and you uh, continue to serve as a member of the advisory board. Um, I'm curious, because Meta is a community-led initiative, you you mentioned that uh, you made sure that you were uh, networking and and able to connect people uh, within the ecosystem, which seems really important. Uh, Was there ever a time where you needed, as the general manager, to make kind of a, a top-down decision on charting the way forward when the community was uh, used to more of a consensus-building approach. Yes,
1: definitely. Uh, a couple of times. Um, I mean, as much as we were more community-led and 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 very empathetic towards our community needs, there comes a time where uh, I, I made those calls. Um, as one of my friends usually says, it's like he, he says that. When a snake enters a house, there has to be somebody who declares war on it and hits the head. It can't be everyone hits the head because you'll both you'll all hit each other, right? So I guess in that scenario, I was the one who had the club in my hand and I was hitting the snake on the head. Um, in, in terms of uh, there, there was uh, a situation where we were looking at our membership uh, offering, uh, for example, and and uh, we noticed that most people. Initially, when we came into the market as Meta, the offering was like, we come to Meta, let's connect all the relevant resources that you do want uh, from investors to corporates to um, other professionals um, to just learn from each other and hopefully even have business uh, work towards a, a certain business goal together. But we can notice that most people are not coming for that. Uh, most people are coming for the use of the space and for the events. That meant that then the membership was becoming irrelevant Where you are offering this sort of like um, exclusive uh, space for people to come and meet. So we decided as a team, and um, basically I am the one who initiated and said, hey, we are scrapping off membership. We don't think it works. We don't think it's adding any value to even the members themselves. Let's focus on doing programs and events that benefit our members because that's what they want to come through. Of course, most people are not happy about why you're scalping membership, because most people also do like a bit of exclusivity. But then from a financial standpoint, from a community building standpoint, it was not making sense. And I had to go against the tides to just say, hey, we, we are canceling this membership. Um, and the backing of the team, basically after showcasing a lot of data in terms of this is why we are making this decision or I'm making this decision, um, after that, day. Kinda of understand a student or like, okay, uh, it makes more sense. Let's focus on giving value where value is needed. Yeah. Um, I mean, and I'm sure there are other um, cases um, in terms of where I've mostly also gone against the team uh, wishes because it was something that I thought at that time was uh, would be best to, to to work on
0: so let's move now to uh where you currently serve as the executive director of the Baraza media lab can you tell us more about uh what that's all about and, and what your role is
1: yeah um so Baraza media lab basically is uh an organization that um Endeavors to strengthen the Kenyan media ecosystem through uh, a research-led approach, where the research work that we do will lead to how do we strengthen the media ecosystem through programs that will enable them to better story tell, how do we um, enable them through some policy and advocacy work that we need to do to be able to strengthen that space, and even eventually how do we fund best uh, uh, media startups that make sense uh, and. Um, in terms of experimenting for the future, right? So we 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 started off, um, first of all, from a funding that was actually given to Meta to, to start it. Uh, based on the success that Meta had created in the community, just making the community more trustworthy or trust each other, making the community more flat where you can access resources and people faster. Um, the funders wanted to translate that result and that learning to the media space, which is critical right now. Especially as we had to, it towards elections and holding power to account, also. So they approached us. Um, they funded uh, the, the the basically the the initial stages and and of the of the lab. Um, so it's a physical space um, on Riverside Drive uh, in Nairobi, um, sitting on six thousand square feet of 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 space. Um, and basically, what happens is that the space offers almost like co-working space slash access to tools that you can use to create your content, um, as well as access to people um, who you could collaborate with on various uh, media projects. And this, uh, for us, the the end goal of this is how do we make it easier for people to better storytell one? How do they become sustainable, especially with these trying times and media being challenged from all over? But also through that, hopefully they hold power to account, Uh, basically, any systemic issues that we are facing from corruption to lack of diversity uh, how do they use their tools and their, their their creativity to do that in a sustainable and in an interesting way um, and my role right now at the lab is basically to look at two critical things one is the susten- sustainability of the lab how do we keep on being sustainable ourselves from either grants uh, to commercial endeavors to um, not only from even a financial standpoint, but even from, a, from a content standpoint, how do, does our work continue existing um, from a content perspective? Um, then the second piece is to look at the needs of the team and the team's, uh, um, uh, how do you say, um, well-being. So basically, um, what, which talent do we need in the near future, in the long term, um, based on the strategy that you want to implement at the lab? And, and getting those people on board um, and basically working with them to, to, to be able to achieve their goals. So we have different departments within the the, the, the lab. By departments, I don't mean like big, big numbers of people now they are just like two or three per department and defined. We have um, the research department, uh, we have the policy and advocacy. We have programs, uh, which basically deals with our events and programmatic work. Um, and then lastly, we are thinking of, of, of setting up an investment site um, that will be looking at how we deploy, uh, that will be fundraising first of all for the fund and looking at how do we deploy that capital to, to, to media um, businesses that are coming up in the region.
0: So you've been at this for just over two years now. What would you say has been your biggest uh, success with the Brasley Media Lab so far?
1: These two years has been a bit challenging, first of all, uh, from from COVID, um, and uh, it's also difficult to also be setting up a team and, and, and crystallizing on your vision within these challenging times. But for me, one of the biggest success for us was to just figure out within these trying times and difficult times to just, first of all, crystallize and look at, this is the criteria that you want to approach. Um, Even within the media space, within the large, and looking at, okay, how do we want also to impact their life uh, and their work uh, in a big way, and how do we hire for that? Um, So that has been an exercise that has been ongoing for I think the last six to seven months. And that to me is the biggest success in terms of the clarity that I do have for the organization. And, and and also the, the the way forward for this organisation, let's say five to ten years, what will people remember Baraza for? Is what we've managed to crystallise on in the last seven six months. Um, despite that, there's been a lot of interventions from. Um, of course, how do we get more money to, to the creative space uh, through our grants that we've been doing like micro grants? How do we of course, highlight some of the challenges in the community that mainstream media cannot have a conversation about uh, because either they lack the resources or just the willingness. So there's been a lot of bad events that we've been doing. Um, And also some big collaborations with big tech in terms of how do we work with the big tech? We know there's a challenge with big tech and media, uh, especially in terms of misinformation, disinformation and malinformation. But how do we work with them To be able to capacity build the current um, uh, users of their platforms, but also to be able to hold um, space for the truth, you know, uh, through them. So it's a consultative work that you're working right now with people like TikTok. Um, So there's been multiple, multiple successes, but for me, the one that stands out is to be able to know the vision clearly, you know, within these difficult times, because we had a vision, we had a plan before we launched. And that was in December 2019 when we launched. And in January, we shut. in March, we had shut down the space. Uh, so all the plans and all the visions we had were thrown off the window. And we had to rethink it and, and start doing that very fast um, uh, based on the current status that we have. And I think that, to me, is a success that I think will uh, we'll, uh, go forward. We, we'll stay longer with us, you know, because it's something that we as a team have worked so hard to craft and come up with. Yeah,
0: it's so true. The fact that you're still standing, uh, given the timing of the initial vision and, and setup up uh, is definitely a testament to uh, your perseverance to continue with this mission. So kudos for that. I- I'm curious, you mentioned around the collaboration uh, and concerns around big tech and media. Um, I'm sure that's a big part of a, increasing part of your work yeah uh, with with the focus on creatives and media, I'm curious how you go about selecting top team members that can head up some of these projects uh-huh. and departments you mentioned because you uh-huh. are just one person. Obviously, you've yeah. had this experience and you're a big part of the vision. How yeah. do you go about uh, finding and vetting people who you can bring on to really translate this vision into action?
1: And Chris, that, that question is very, very timely because um, we've been hiring uh, for the last three months. Uh, um, I mean, remember, we paused a bit on hiring so that we figured out ourselves. And and then once we figured out ourselves, we made this plan of the optimum team members that you need to have, the departments, their roles, uh, and all. And we noticed that eventually, if you we were to achieve the this humongous impact that you want to achieve within the media and creative space, you have to have almost a team of about 18 people. Um, and we were three initially. Um, so it's been a crazy period of just interviews and, and finding people. Um, but one thing that I... I, I I learned, or started doing through, remember when I mentioned about networking and getting to know a lot of people as part of my leadership journey and as part of how I support my team. And one of the strategies that I use to be able to lead my team best. I started scoping around way back, I started scoping around and looking at people who I see them doing a very good job and almost saying one day, if I have the resources, if I have the opportunity, I'll get to hire that person. So these are people that I've never even met, I've never been talked to, but I could see even from like your networking platform, so from your Twitter to your LinkedIn, the way they could interact, the way they could voice some of the challenges that they're seeing in the community. So That's one thing that personally as Morris has been there, where there's this pool of people that I've been observing over time. Uh, and yes, that's not the most efficient way of rapidly hiring, but I found it to be, a bit authentic because then you get to know people who are very passionate about these stories. But the other piece that also we've added of late is we've added two things. Apart from this long-term observation of people, we've added referrals where we we, we ask within our community. So, for example, when we are hiring um, a research lead, we've asked them to, to, to help us uh, share this JD with people that they highly, highly think could be a good um, talent for us. And the, the rationale behind that is that um, I'm a firm believer of um, good talent, good talent knows good talent, um, or good talent uh, hands around good talent. And probably if you respect this person from their professional point of view, um, then probably they'll recommend it to another person who you, you could easily respect and, 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 and appreciate their talent. Um, so that's the other strategy that we've incorporated. Then the last strategy that we've added is to, and, and this is something that I learned when I was at uh, Strathmore and Meta a little bit, where I found we speak a lot about culture, uh, right? And, and, and culture um, is a good thing. Like having a good organizational culture, depending on the person's view of good, is, is generally a good thing and can encourage a lot of people to come and join your team. But then I started looking into what do people think of culture? What do they think is culture? And, and and I found out that most people look at culture in a very skewed way, where it is somebody who agrees, talks, looks, uh, you know, like them. And, and that's what they they, they they look at business culture fit. So for us, culture fit was basically somebody who, um, so I started looking at, For us at Baraza, somebody whose culture fit is basically somebody who embodies the core values, the mission and vision that we have. But for us to recognize that, we have to remove ourselves from that process a little bit and have somebody else um, help us to go through that process. Um, Let me explain a little bit about that. So what we do within our hiring process, we have uh, at least uh, three steps of it. And, And we try and make it as fast as possible. So those three steps within a week, you get your results in terms of if I'm going through or not. So in terms of sourcing, we source through uh, people that you know or people that we have observed over time and also through our networks. But in terms of the recruitment process, we ask either one of our um, corporate friends or, or organization friends or, or even members to be in the initial um, screening and an interviewing process with a part of our team. And this helps us to just really remove that bias because um, we know we have organizational bias of people who we want to work with but we, it might not be um, it might not be very objective so we want this person who um, helps us to be objective within the process and we involve them through these uh, three processes um, and that, that's that's some of the strategies that we implemented and so far uh, within this process, we've just finished. We have two more positions that we're going to announce in the near term, uh, but we've seen us bring in very, very good people from the onset. So I, I have no qualms about the process like I've gotten to right now.
0: I really like what you said about kind of developing this almost dream team in your mind of who are our top players that you would want on your uh, team. Uh, I've done something similar uh, and I've talked with other founders who have done something similar related to their uh, board of advisors or their their board where these are the individuals the top thought leaders that they would want on their board and it's a great way to focus your vision and the like the standard bar that you want to hold yourself to as you grow Um, so really fascinating that you have done that and you've started to pursue that in building out your team at at Barraza Media Lab. And I'm curious, uh, as you bring on some of these really strong players, what are some best practices that you use now uh, to make sure that you uh, make sure that they perform uh, and, and really deliver on, on the quality, but also give them the space to empower them to drive things forward in, in their realm of work within the lab?
1: So space for them, uh, so just to make sure that they perform uh, according to what we we require is, um, so we have a set of sort of like these are the KPIs that we as an organization want to achieve. And the first point of discussion, as any other organization uh, will do it, is let's have a conversation. Are you in agreement with this? Do you think it's achievable? And what will you need uh, from the onset? So we set those sort of like targets that we want you to achieve together. Um, Then the other piece that we've also added is to bring in the team, and uh, again, we can afford to do this because we are a small team, so to bring in the team and to articulate each and every person sort of like target, and and I found this to be, to help us have more clarity amongst all of us in terms of what is expected of this person and what is my role to make sure that this person achieves their work. and and or make sure that these or, or is, what is my role, what is the potential risk if I don't do my work uh, you know, so we found that to be working a little bit because then people get to understand deeply like who's doing what, um especially in a startup culture where you find everybody's doing everything, you know, but there needs to be a bit of clarity of who's accountable, who's responsible um and who's uh, just informed um so that that has really been how we hold everyone accountable. Then, in terms of just giving them space, um, within the different departments, what we do is is to almost um, give the, they give me the strategy or give the leadership strategy. We look at the strategy together, then let them lead it. Uh, And basically what I do is to hold them accountable to what they have decided to do, you know. So you promised me to do this, not that this. Um, yes, sometimes some of their um achievements or strategies might misalign or might be short of what uh, we want to achieve, but then uh, what we do is to try and compensate for that shortfall in another department or another work because we notice that it's it's one thing to to have to push people to achieve a certain level of goal, but another if you push them it becomes um, less exciting but also it's another thing to just have at least a league fair organization where you just do what you want, we have to also be a bit firm in terms of the minimum uh, amount of uh, achievement that we require from you. so I give them space to set their strategy, give them the space to to able to, to to articulate it and to represent their department by themselves and more than often take a back seat uh, within the lab and, and just let them talk lead represent the, their various work friends, uh, and be almost the face of that bit of work. I, I think that gives um, I think, gives a lot of confidence and also builds um, a group of lions, you know. By lions, I mean like lions who can work hard. So so just let them lead, let them be the champions um, and take a back seat and just try and support a lot from the back end. Um, that's, that's, that's that's my leadership uh, strategy that I take with them in terms of just giving them space. Um, um, the other thing that I've also tried to do is to look at look and also observe sort of like the shortcomings of each teammate and how do we feel it either through um, mentorship coaching or uh, or even um, just pairing them with another person that I do respect also within the field so that they can just have a chat and share like uh, industry best practices so that's another thing that I found out to be helpful um, and and that has also helped them to even get new ideas uh, of some of the work that could
0: do Yeah, in my experience, uh, the sign that you've brought on the right people and and given them the space that they need to succeed is when they make suggestions that I initially would disagree with and push back on, but end up letting them proceed. And then they uh, essentially perform higher than what my strategy would have been. (laughs) So it's always, uh, that's the goal where you bring on people who can make better decisions than you in their realm of the work. Uh, otherwise, it's just going to be you at the top making all the decisions. So um, it sounds like you're definitely well on your way to building uh, a world-class team with the Media Lab. I'm, I'm curious, just as we wrap, uh, you obviously uh, have a lot going on and you've built up this expertise in terms of of community building and ecosystem building. Are there any uh, trends uh, that you have noticed either in the workplace setting or in the media uh, world, that you wanted to flag as something that uh, is is maybe being overlooked or underappreciated or, or coming up in the near future.
1: Yeah, so I'll start first of all in the community building space. Um, then I'll, I'll 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 give a bit about the media space. So a trend that I'm seeing in the community building space is that initially, even <laughs> initially there was this bit of oh we are community developers, we are coming. And it was a very NGO ish term. Then now it's community builders. We are building communities, people like us. But I'm seeing an element of almost like community design. And by community design, I mean like looking at everybody who brings in something to this community. So, for example, the media space, and designing how do we involve civil society, how do we involve governments, how do we involve citizens right? And how do they relate? So it's almost like a system practice type of research or framework that you're creating for the community. Um, and that, that I think will be something that will be more beneficial uh, and is a trend that will be more uh, forward thinking for, for the community building of community builders to be able to think about apart from just building a community and rallying people through events and organizing a couple of things for them to come together, are there any other value additions um, that we can add on, and how do we utilize the existing structures uh, in terms of either your, your tech platforms. Um, I've seen some communities have their closed tech platforms, which, uh, based on my experience and based on talking to other people, are very underutilized, because um, most people don't want to move away from their existing platforms uh, of, of, of networking. I'm just thinking of um, how, do you, how do we incorporate the existing platforms like your LinkedIn's and your, your, your um, Facebook and WhatsApp as community building tools, but also design it in a way that everybody who's on the peripheral of your community is also involved. You design it in a way that they also play a part in that. In that. So I, I think, um, I don't know if it's a term already, but community designing is something that I think would be something that would be lucrative for my space within the community building space. Um, then, in terms of the media space, of course, media um, across the globe is being uh, disrupted a lot in terms of their business models and even their storytelling models. Um, however, I do think there are some interesting things that we at the lab are also very excited about in terms of the capability in terms of things like AI and, and, and the use of uh, NFTs to sell, because one of the challenges of media is how to monetize it, right? It as a startup. But if things like um, NFTs um, within blockchain technology can be utilized to commercialize, it could be a very, very interesting piece. Um, again, as as technologies like AI become more um, visible on the continent, then targeted content uh, will become something that people will be just consuming co- content that they want to consume, uh, and di- of course directed by the AI platforms. Uh, I know it's already working, but if it becomes more pervasive within in this space, I think it will be it'll be very beneficial uh, for the media space. Um, there's been a lot of like radical conversations around how can <laughs> media become like a gig work uh, um like a gig work type of uh, role where you don't have to have journalists on payroll, you don't have to have writers on payroll, you just have them as gig workers. Um, I think it's yet to be seen, but it could be very interesting for for as, a, as a something that I could see coming up because already so many people are working for different media outlets um, from wherever they are. Um, so you don't need to be attached to this humongous organization that takes a lot of time to turn the wheels. Um, to be able to to do your craft. Um, those are some of the things that I can see within the media space.
0: Amazing. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom about community design and the future of media. Uh, it definitely sounds really, really interesting and looking forward to seeing how it all plays out and the role that you and the Brazza Media Lab will play in it, as I'm sure you will, especially with the election coming up in Kenya, like you mentioned. Uh, there's a lot to be done there and I'm sure you guys are on the cutting edge. Um, thank you again for sharing about your leadership journey, ranging from the the captain of the rugby team all the way to leading a uh, really innovative uh, community organizations and companies and tech labs. So really inspirational story. Uh, and thank you for your time today, Maurice.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for also having me on the podcast. Um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, thanks so much. Thank you.